This is Zealous, an in-depth look behind the scenes of legal matters straight from the attorneys of Gimbel, Riley, Garen, and Brown. Welcome to Zealous. I'm your host, Brianna Meyer, and this is the place to immerse yourself in the legal world. This week, we're talking with partner Chris Strobane. Chris has developed a diverse litigation practice that focuses on personal injury, insurance coverage, civil litigation, and commercial property tax appeals. Chris's practice extends throughout the state of Wisconsin. He represents clients across the spectrum, from individuals to small businesses to large national corporations. Today, Chris and I are sitting down and talking about social media and pretrial investigations. It is almost an understatement to say that many people are addicted to technology, their smartphones, and specifically social media. We document our lives in an unprecedented way, which can become a journal for attorneys and courts to examine if necessary. I do think it's important for the listeners that we clarify that when we're talking about pretrial investigation, in civil cases, that is the discovery phase. In criminal cases, the discovery is more often referred to as the actual police reports and not so much of the going out and hiring a private investigator. But just for the listener's sake, pretrial investigation in civil cases is also known as the discovery phase. Yeah, it's kind of a term of art for whoever uses it. If you've got your criminal hat on, it means a different thing to you. Discovery means a different thing to you than it means to you know, me a civil litigator Mm -hmm. with my discovery hat on. It could mean a lot of written interrogatories, a lot of document production requests, and and oral depositions and things of that nature, and and, and it could mean a completely different thing on on the criminal side. But it's really just trying to fit, either or, they're trying to figure out the facts of what happened in the case that might have to be tried down the road just at different timelines and with different rules to get there. So it makes complete sense. It does. (laughs) Well, one thing is for sure, Chris, is that with all of your experience and with the fact that you've done both civil and criminal, is you've got a lot of great war stories about pretrial investigations and the discovery phases. There's stories. Hopefully they're not all war stories, but they are (laughs) are, sometimes they, they are very unique stories. Sometimes you have to be... Be careful with how you, you phrase them or, or, or say some of the specifics, right. but you know, when, if you've been around a long enough time, and and unfortunately, I've gone from a you know a young lawyer, and I, I'm not really that anymore, <laughs> and so it seems it seems to go by fast. Um, you've got you come across a lot of unique experiences and a lot of unique things that you've learned along the way, especially when you're dealing with with how things have evolved in terms of the internet. One of the things that I can think of is, is, is how things have changed in terms of the ability of, of people to get information or lawyers to get information about people without having to seek discovery, without having to seek formal written discovery, so to speak. One of, you know, so there's, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more later, but interrogatories, things ask, you know, name, date of birth, residence, job, all mm-hmm. this sort of background information. You don't need to necessarily go through the process of that anymore. If it's not, if you haven't already found it in a police report or something else that's provided to you, you can go to Facebook. Yeah. You can go to Instagram. Mm-hmm. You can potentially go to, to Twitter or many of these other social media 
profiles where people just put information out there to the public. Now you have to mm -hmm. be careful as a lawyer if, if you've got an adverse client, you can't friend somebody if right. there's litigation proceeding. That's that's potentially unethical mm -hmm. conduct and you can't do that. But if it's a public facing profile that that you can just look up that you're you're able to, to do that because that's that's essentially public information in that regard. Yeah, one thing that my dad is also a practicing, well, I guess former practicing attorney, he's now technically retired, but one thing that I will never forget is when I was in high school, Facebook had just come out and it was all the rage and I really, really wanted one, but before I was allowed to have one, he had me sit down with his private investigator and the guy showed me this is what people can see if your profile's public, and that scarred me for life. <laughs> wow, and I and I remember, th and of course, I was not not in high school. Then I was, I think, I was just out of law school with mm -hmm. Facebook, and I said, "What?" And I think I said, "And and you know, I see things well into the future." I'm like, "What is this Facebook?" Ah, it's one of those things those kids do. It'll never, <laughs> it'll never stick around. Never be anything. Yeah. Once again, I was proven correct. <laughs> um, so, but it's really it's. Facebook is, is just kind of one of those things that just sort of sets out how a lot of things in our life are, are viewed nowadays through the lens of social media. A lot of people don't have Facebook profiles, and that's, mm -hmm. and that's probably good, but it, it's, it's just changed things so dramatically because just to think 20 years, 25 years earlier, when I was in college, there was no Facebook. We were just beginning to email back and yeah. forth. And the internet was just, just very slowly, you know, there, there's CompuServe and all sorts of old, old timey search engines you've probably never heard of um, that did not work as fast as, or well as Google or even Yahoo, you know, anything. But things have, have changed and, and I've seen it even as I've been practicing. You know, you'd start to see, you, th you would think that you're getting a lot of information and discovery if you're getting exchanges from a Yahoo Messenger service just mm -hmm. related to some sort of case or, or just certain printouts. But now there's such an ability to get some so much more with electronic discovery, with mm -hmm. these forensic audits of phones, computers, and, and everything like that. In terms of, of websites and phones, you can pick up activity off of, off of a phone in a car accident case, mm -hmm. if, you know, up to the so you, can, so you can find out what happened, perhaps the moment of the accident, right around where you think the moment of the accident is. Mm -hmm. um, and that becomes very important. You can find out when somebody sent certain emails. You can find mm -hmm. out when somebody created documents or downloaded pictures and, and things of that nature. You can find out so much from some of these forensic audits nowadays. It's not cheap. It's right. very expensive, especially <laughs> if you're a regular litigant, mm -hmm. you know, who's a defendant and in a criminal case or, or mm -hmm. a plaintiff in another case, it's, they make you bear the cost of that a lot, but it's just very, very expensive. Yeah, and I think one thing a lot of people who aren't involved so much with the legal system, what they're not aware of is these reports are incredibly thorough. There is everything, even deleted information comes up. Yeah, if you you think you've deleted something and, and you haven't really deleted it because it's sitting mm -hmm. in a different box that you have no idea exists and is still there, 
you know, the only way to probably really delete something is toss it in the middle of the lake, but I bet if you, you could probably find it and, and yeah. somebody, you know, under the circumstances, the way they're making them nowadays could probably reboot it and get it going. I've had a um, case where that happened, I, where the I, phone was in the I, middle of the lake and I, they found I just, information. you know, I, I mean, you've got to, you know, if, so sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes things happen. I, I don't know, but I mean, that it's just hypothetically, if you were, you know, yeah. you can find stuff anywhere. Yes. Sometimes people have think that they've, when they've switched phones and they, you know, they leave it around the house that it's not usable anymore, or if they've wiped it or mm -hmm. gone back, there's information there that may be relevant to a case and may be helpful, might be hurtful, but you know that's it's it's out there. Beyond deleted items, there are I think a lot of things that most people don't realize that their phones store from the beginning. There's GPS data, exact times your screen is woken up versus when it's unlocked. How have you seen this play out in cases? Well, in, in a various different cases, I've seen where the phone can provide a great deal of evidence that you couldn't have planned on 10 years ago being applied. It's like you're walking with a, with a computer that is giving out a great deal of information both actively and passively as to how you're acting. You just kind of mentioned just a, there's some, they can tag your location depending if you have your location services on and your phone. I mean, a lot of the things in your settings automatically set up for what people and websites and apps can, can learn about you. The things with Facebook, how that's, every, every website has an app and then once they have an app, they ask to know about as much information they can get from you as they can through the, their terms and services, all this other fun stuff that you click on when you say, I agree. And next thing you know, the websites have all this data about you or the apps that you have have this data. Apple has it. And a lot of it, you know, can be downloaded on command if they if they take a mirror of your, your phone. People much smarter than I will take it and they'll stick something in the phone and and they'll have a program that downloads it on the computer, and they can read off when you've accessed an app. They can see when you've been on Facebook, what what, what you did on Facebook, you know, your your messengers, all sorts of activity they can they can track and, and the timing of it. And that's really evolved from 10, 15 years ago when you had a you know a flip phone. I mean, you it used to have such small memories and small mm -hmm. such abilities to to store things 10, 15 years ago. And as that advances, every time there's a new iPhone, it knows more and it seems like they ask more of you, your facial recognitions. You know, people will do the face ID to to unlock their phones. I mean, they can you can really tell a lot of things about that. So if you say, well, it didn't come from my phone, and you'd be like, well, you, you, you're, we did a download of your phone and you unlocked it with your face identification, mm -hmm. you know, 20 minutes before. So it's not great. <laughs> all the time. You uh, touched on the fact that experts can even get into things that people think are private, like private Facebook messages, DMs on Instagram. What sort of advice do you give to clients generally about social media use during litigation? Um, one of the things I, I advise my clients to do is to, to keep anything in terms of relevant activity or, or activity you wouldn't want another adverse side to know in litigation off social media. Don't post about 
things on Facebook. You know, don't post about your thoughts about the other side or about your thoughts on litigation or conversations. I've seen it where, you know, people have talked about their interactions with their lawyers. You know, how they, for example, in an automobile accident, sometimes people will take pictures and of their car and say, wow, you know, look, I, you know, look at this accident. There's all this, how bad it looks, but I'm feeling great. I'm feeling fine. And then, you know, a few, you know, few days later, you know, their neck is stiff. They've got back issues. You know, there's the problem with their hand, you know, because maybe they're not fine. And I say, well, you know, I'm fine except my hand hurts a bit. Well, wait, you know, come to find out you've got, your hand is broken in some part or you tore a tendon or something. So you're really not fine. But the insurance companies will come back and want, will look at that and say, well, you felt fine this day because mm-hmm. they'll ask for access to that social media information. So what I tell them is if they have, you know, if they have a profile that they're active on, make it private. I don't, I don't tell them to delete anything because, you know, at that point you're, you know, what are you trying to, you know, hide or destroy evidence? You know, if there, those questions can arise even though you, I think you can still get that information. So I just say to, to be, make it private and and just be very discreet with what you post and don't post about any pending legal issues that you that you've got because it's just you know don't write something down that you don't want somebody else to see because when when you're on social media essentially you're you're writing it down and creating a journal of your your thoughts and your your impressions and your views and your opinions so you got to be cognizant of that and you know, there's just lot, there's so many ways where they can capture information in media nowadays. You know, from the, mm-hmm. the smartwatches that you're on to whatever uploads and sites you've been on. It there's mm-hmm. there's one case I had where there was somebody who I think was was uploading their runs into a into a an app and a website, and, mm-hmm. and you were able to see how that person was that was doing and, and running in all these specific races that that they're in, and, mm-hmm. and kind of an online tracking system. You know, yeah. part of that part, she's part of this this network, or that person was part of that network, which could be relevant in an accident investigation right. um, if if they're if they're claiming injury. If, if you're a member of certain Facebook groups, mm-hmm. uh, you could that is something that could be could be relevant. Yeah. Uh, you look at the, the January 6th thing, a lot of these people are, are members of certain groups and they've, yeah. they've backtraced a lot of that stuff from, from Facebook and that information is out there, somebody's gonna find it. And I think one thing that is shocking is always if you, not to be narcissistic, but if you Google yourself, that is a shock to the system of everything that comes up. Sometimes, sometimes you've gotta do that, sometimes yeah. you've gotta set the Google alert and mm-hmm. you'll you know, you'll see see things, and sometimes it's probably good to remind yourself that, you know, what you say or what you do is is going to be out there. I think I've done that on a number of occasions, and I think one of the things that I've seen pop up is my Twitter profile. And so you, I think you need to be cognizant of that, especially if you're looking for a job or doing something. Somebody, first thing they do nowadays that they couldn't do 25 years ago is probably type your name into Google if you're looking for a job. Yeah. It's like, oh, this person's going to, you know, just mm-hmm. type, type it into Google, what's going to pop up? You're, you know, you're going to see a lot of, you're going to see potentially social media profiles and, and, and a lot of other contacts. So Yeah, and an important thing to remember is even if you're not Googling yourself, someone else is, whether it's an employer, an attorney. I mean, we Google people all the time and we find things that are important for cases and really can affect someone's life. I, that's one of the first things I do in, in terms of a discovery situation mm-hmm. of if I'm 
looking at somebody else. I, mm-hmm. I'll Google somebody, and that oftentimes leads me to a profile. Right. And, and you know, that's just kind of the, the first door into to learning more information about somebody. One of my, I think one of the first cases that I was lead, quote-unquote lead on, I was working with you, and we Googled someone involved, and, and Backpage came up, which doesn't exist anymore, but... I mean, that alone told us a lot. Yeah, yeah, and and that was a site that I was unfamiliar with then. Still unfamiliar with, <laughs> still unfamiliar with it. But there are, you know, places like that out there. I mean, a lot of people are on Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok now. TikTok now. Mm-hmm. My life. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Pinterest is a little bit harder to navigate for me, but you know, um, one day recipes will be relevant. You never know. Yeah, everything that you put out there, uh, and not to sound like too much of a lawyer, but can and will be used against you. <laughs> well, there's just there's just so much nowadays where I've I've now found myself using social media stuff in in deposition exhibits. Mm-hmm. I, I know I've seen it, or I think we've had it used in restraining order hearings in, in, in the past. But the, the social media is so power is so powerful because it's also. A lot of it shows, you know, for example, in an auto accident case, some people will post pictures of their accident or they'll yeah. post, you know, how they're doing. And it gives such an in, it gives an immediate in-time look of how that person is, is perceiving something, their perspective. Right. It's, it's, it's kind of critical to determining the mindset. And, you know, we encourage people that perhaps they should not do that yeah. Um, yeah. because other people can, can find that information and, mm-hmm. and you know, Oftentimes your mindset changes a few weeks later about, oh, I, I, I really do feel different, or I, you know, or perhaps I shouldn't have posted that. Right. Uh, everybody's probably posted something they've regretted. I think no one is exempt from that. Yeah. All parties engage in this pretrial investigation, so it's not just the defense, it's not just a plaintiff. Um, everyone is, so everyone needs to kind of be on their game and know that Everyone's doing this investigation. Correct, uh, correct. You know, in the criminal process, a lot of it's front-loaded before it gets to the district attorney because mm-hmm. the, the police officers are doing that. But on the civil side, once the plaintiff initiates a lawsuit, the discovery can go really both ways pretty much unfettered. There, there are certain requirements, but everybody would have the same access to each other, essentially, almost in that case. There's, of course, limitations in terms of people's personal medical records, but if they put something at issue, some of that, be, you know, in terms of the litigation, some of that becomes discoverable. There's some different limitations in that regard to the to the criminal side, but it's a pretty broad process, and it's encouraged to be that way uh, because they think that it helps tend to, to get the disputes moving faster towards resolution. In discovery, there's, you know, certain guidelines, you know, people think, well, they may ask something or seek mm-hmm. some certain information. They say, well, that's not really relevant to what is at issue here in this case, mm-hmm. this car accident case. This doctor I had, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago may not be, is not relevant. But in um, civil discovery, there's a much broader standard where it's any evidence that might essentially tend to lead to admissible evidence down the road. So it's it's given a much broader brush to, to attempt to get information in the civil side. As opposed to criminal side, if you're involved in some sort of an assault case or some sort of other case and you're looking to de- dive deeply into mm-hmm. the, the victim's 
medical records or medical past, there's going to be some more significant roadblocks that you face there in that situation. Last topic I want to touch on and then I'll let you go. Based on your many years of experience litigating, have you noticed that other attorneys are also becoming just as fluent in social media? It, it depends on a, a lot of them with the age. My generation, uh, I'm a Gen Xer, many of us are pretty good at it, um, but our uh, belief of what we're pretty good at is is probably not the same of, of what a millennial or a Gen Zer is in terms of pretty good at it. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, I, for example, I think, oh, I, I found this on Twitter or I found this on Facebook, so I've, I've done a pretty good job. But you, you're, you're Gen Z or millennial? I'm a millennial. You're a millennial. Not quite you'll, Gen you'll, Z. You'll, you'll say, well, what about, what about Instagram or what about this or what about that? And I'll be like, I don't necessarily, I don't go on that a lot. I haven't heard of that site. So it's evolving. It's, it's hard to, to keep track. TikTok is another thing. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff on, on TikTok that's going on with, with conversations and communications. So it, it really evolves, and I think it, it evolves faster than what a lot of attorneys are prepared for. So some of us are only as good as our, our paralegals or our, or our younger associates that know and are able to track these, these things. You know, older, you know, attorneys older than, you know, the, the baby boomers probably, you know, some of them are, are pretty good at it, but they're not as adept at many of the things, and neither some of the Gen, Gen Xers like me, I'm not adept at, you know, many of them. But I, th I think it's evolving. Um, some people have tried to, to they don't want to be a part of it. But I think if you try to divorce yourself from that, if you do that, you have to have somebody on your side that will go look into that and explore that area because there's a lot of information out there that could be beneficial to your client. And along with that, I think also there is a certain art to be able to take the information and to distill it for either a judge or a jury because you don't know what the judge or the jury, their experience with different social medias are. Correct. Correct. Um, I, I think you kind of, you have to, you have to be able to kind of put a frame around the picture that you're trying to, to prove because, you know, if you're dealing with a, perhaps a restraining order, for example, and you see somebody has started, you know, a big Facebook thread or has tweeted at somebody and is harassing somebody online, for example, through a couple different methods, you have to be able to explain and translate to that judge, for example, like, well, maybe this is, you know, they're making these posts on the internet, but this is really like making multiple phone calls from, and in terms of a past relationship where they're, you know, they're, they're tracking them, they're, they're abusing them, they're on the internet, they're, they started these posts about them, they started this Facebook group about them, they started this sort of thing. You need to be able to explain how each act of, of which post or each act of which post on which website is a different act in terms of, of, of harassment and sets a, and a pattern. Um, so I think it's really important to figure out where you're trying to prove first when you're using the social media instead of just trying to wow and look this is what I found on Twitter 
you know, why, why did you find this on Twitter? Why is this important to why we're here today? Because some judges aren't going to understand, you know, they're going to say, what's, what's a tweet? You know, I've never been on Twitter. You're going to have to un- explain why it's important and that somebody says this on Twitter, who can see it, how many followers there are, things of that nature, because um, they may not have the same perspective on the, of the impact that you do. So you have to be able to explain that to them and, and to demonstrate why that's important. It's time for the definition of the day. When we are talking about pretrial investigations, you mentioned the term interrogatory. Could you break that down for our listeners? You know, what is an interrogatory? It's it's a long word as basically like ugh <laughs> in terms of civil discovery, you know, um, at least from my perspective. Um, an interrogatory is essentially any sort of question that a lawyer can send to another lawyer or a pro se litigant asking them something about relevant about their case. If you're involved in an auto accident, oftentimes you'll see what were you doing before the accident? Uh, what steps did you take to avoid the accident? Mm-hmm. Thing, things like that. I, I think it's, it's better used for um, a background investigation type tool of, mm-hmm. of if, if you're involved in, a, in some sort of liability accident who was working? What, what were the processes? What you know? What sort of policies did they have? Very specific background questions because it's going. It's really hard to get any sort of critical admissions or real sub- substantive answers or open-ended responses where you can get factual information from discovery from the person itself because lawyers are answering the questions. Yeah. So, uh, so for every lawyer, you know, I, I think every time I think I've got a great interrogatory that's been been crafted, um, I think, well, you know, there's also another very intelligent lawyer on the mm-hmm. other side who's going to make sure it's answered in a way that's beneficial to their client. So do I really want to engage in this, in, in this you know, uh, paper fencing contest, yeah. you know, sword, sword, paper sword fight about... <laughs> Um, about who can ask the best question and respond the best. I'd rather do that in a deposition setting with a person, one-on-one, trying to get the information I need for my client rather than a written interrogatory process. Now, you can use interrogatories to get certain factual information, mm-hmm. but I, I, I use that for certain non-controversial factual information. Um, that's kind of my... Uh, about looking for other potential witnesses and things that may not be as... Um, exciting to fight over. Chris, as you know, this is the second ever episode of Zealous. So this is the first time listeners are hearing this game that we came up with called Please Advise. And I'm going to throw out a couple of hypotheticals to you, and then I'm going to ask you to please advise me. I'm ready. All right. Number one. I was in a car accident last week. The insurance company for the other driver wants to set up a time to interview me. What do I do? I got it. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, it's there. There's really nothing you can gain from giving an, a, a, essentially a free interview to the insurance company. They're not going to to pay your your personal injury claim any any faster if you discuss the facts of the accident. Your best bet is to contact a lawyer. Let a lawyer handle the contact, retain a lawyer, mm-hmm. 
let the lawyer handle the contact with the insurance company. Hopefully you have your own insurance company that can help get your vehicle uh, repaired. But talking to an insurance company without a lawyer or doing it fairly quickly without letting, letting everything sink in for a bit is not a great idea. I wouldn't advise it. And when you say hire a lawyer, maybe you. I don't know. If not me, there's plenty. There, you know, there's twenty-some thousand lawyers in the state of Wisconsin. Oof. You know, any of any of them. But yeah. you, there's a lot of great lawyers out there. Um, but but don't talk to the insurance company. All right, number two, the police came to my home and arrested me. They told me that they believed I am involved in a drug trafficking ring, even though I am ten years sober. They want to ask me questions. What do I do? I don't do that either. <laughs> don't do that either. No. Exactly. Um, if, if, you know, I, I respect the police. I work with a lot mm -hmm. of the police. A lot of them are very great people. Mm -hmm. If they are investigating you and ask, say the words, you know, if you cooperate with me, this would go really, this would go quicker. That's when you say, I need to talk to a lawyer. If you hear the police say, would you, would you mind cooperating with me? Ask to talk to a lawyer. If mm -hmm. they have a few questions, ask to talk to a lawyer. If they say, are there any, you know, guns, knives, police, or anything mm -hmm. I need to be worried about in the car, talk to a lawyer because that you are an investigatory target at that point. And by that time you're arrested. So, you know, I always tell people, I, I know it seems like when you've been placed into custody that if you talk to the cops, they might let you out of custody sooner. That's not the case. Not just, true. <laughs> just, just, Try, you're, you're going to be in custody probably just as long, mm -hmm. if not longer, if you talk. Number three. Yesterday, a car began following me, which eventually led to a high-speed chase in which multiple vendors had their fruit stands knocked over. Once the car trapped me in a dark alley, I learned the driver was a private investigator working for my ex-spouse. I am worried that the private investigator put a tracking device on my vehicle during this incident. What do I do? There's a lot to unpack here with uh, the, the person, the high-speed chase, the, the fruit stands. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, it's a very Blues Brothers uh, car chase vibe. Um, well, we're not asking just I'm, anyone. I'm, I'm concerned about the fruit stands. I, the the high-speed chase was not, not advisable. Um, if you're worried about the, the tracking, tracking device uh, on your car, you know, I'm Sure, it's entirely possible they put one on there. Best way to solve it is just go trade in your car. <laughs> I like it. Well, thanks, Chris, for sitting down with us and walking us through pretrial investigations. I think that everyone learned a lot from this. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure to, to help out and assist. Thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Zealous. This series is brought to you by Gimbel, Riley, Guerin, and Brown, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If you think you need a lawyer, contact us at grgblaw.com. Tune in for our next episode where we talk with Kristen Nelson. Mm. Tune in for our next episode where we talk professional licensing with Kristen Nelson. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode of Zealous.